good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking, how's your head? I haven't had any complaints yet. We're talking big openings. And we're talking, I was also a great pair of legs. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking one woman Sodom and Gomorrah, if you will. A slimy, slithering succubus, a concubine, a streetwalker, a tramp, a slot, a cheap whore! We're talking Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was really loud. (laughs) It's okay, you got into it. I like the method. Oh my god. Um, Joe, this was a first time watch for me, because I am ashamedly a bad, bad, bad gay, and have... Bad gay. No exposure. Actually, I'm sorry. I said I had no exposure to Elvira. I did. We did see her in Scooby-Doo Return to Zombie Island uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a part so memorable, you forgot about it. But now you have rectified that oversight, and you are fully on board? Oh my god, yes. Uh, for the past three days, I've been doing a deep dive into Elvira, and... Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where um, I, I never had a, I never, I, I was aware of her presence when I was growing up, but like, my parents probably thought she was too silly. My mom probably mm-hmm. thought that she was too risque. And right. I would think that her host like movie Macabre would have aired probably like in the wee hours of the night when I wasn't allowed to be up. So yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't have this connection with her like so many of my fellow queers did. And I'm a little jealous after watching this movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a whole barrel of fun. I also came to this relatively late. But you know what, we can talk about that in a little bit, because I feel like maybe we should bring somebody else in. Yes, yes, yes. Let's bring someone who may have more experience with Elvira on the podcast. Everyone, she is a drag queen, actor, comedian, and singer who won the fifth season of RuPaul's Drag Race, as well as the most recent season of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, the all-winner season. She is the subject of the 2015 documentary Drag Becomes Him, and you can also listen to her podcast, High Jinx, in which she brings her unique brand of talk to the podcast airwaves through thoughtful, hilarious, and even probing conversations with your favorite celebrities, comedians, and artists. Please welcome Jinx Monsoon. What an introduction. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, you've truly done it all, so... Well... I will tell you, with a Wikipedia page as long as yours, to just narrow it down to three bullet points was a fucking challenge. (laughs) Uh, That's why I just boil it down to internationally tolerated drag queen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on to the show, Jinx. Uh, You ready to talk Elvira? Always. I'm always ready to talk Elvira. She's been a huge part of my life. Um, And I think most drag queens, I don't know. I don't know a single drag queen who doesn't have a relationship to Elvira in some way. I don't know. But I also 
<laughs> don't get around as much as I used to. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> when did you first, do you remember when you first discovered her? Because I mean, again, I, I'm a child of the 90s. And I, again, like I feel like I knew her through commercials and advertisements. But I, mm. I didn't know what movie Macabre was until I mean, probably well into my 20s. I feel like I just always, she was just always in my life. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't remember being introduced to her at any one point. I just feel like she's always been there. It's been like the uh, 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 the Simpsons and Elvira have just always been there. Um, <laughs> I think she has been on the Simpsons, too. <laughs> <laughs> and so I knew about her my whole life, but I think it wasn't until my late teens that I saw the movie. But I also was like, you know, I identified with her so much. I was definitely an Adams Family Uh, queer kid you know i loved anything that was about the spooky misfit going against the grain of society you know and i was obsessed with a character based on elvira in the show darkwing duck (gasps) she was darkwing duck's girlfriend I think she was a goose named Morgana, and she had magic powers, you know, and I was obsessed with her. <laughs> oh, God. See, I, I guess, yeah, I'm trying to think of it with this type of character. I guess Angelica Houston's Morticia Adams, which I realize is not the original one, but that was my introduction to, like, this sexy, funny lady of the night. (laughs) It's such a wonder... I mean, it's been around for forever because before Elvira, there was Vampira. And, I mean, like, Elvira's very self-aware of the genre she's pulling from and very self-aware of the the references she's making. Like, it's not an Mm -hmm. accident. Whereas Vampira, I think... Wasn't there someone before Vampira at the same time as Vampira? (laughs) Oh, entirely possible. I mean, well, it's interesting, though, even talking about this, because you know, I was doing some research and you know, I, I looked into Vampira and it's one of those things where, you know, Vampira made a mark. She was a cultural landmark, but she was only around. I'm sorry. Her show was only around for a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. OK. Mm-hmm. It's 50 episodes in 1954 and 1955. Oh, my God. 50 episodes. Do you two remember the days when we were getting that many episodes of the show? <laughs> in one season, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, now it's like six if we're lucky. If the, if the no, writers know, right? all got along through the end of the, the streaming season. model, I mean, the, I love the binge model, but I also hate it because I think it's ruined people's patience. What was it when Wandavision oh, sure. was? Well, because when Wandavision was coming, people were like, "Uh, the entitlement. Uh, like Disney should just be giving this all at once. Why are they making us wait?" And I'm like, "Go fuck yourself, y'all!" Like, this is because such they're bullshit. creating a ritual around watching it. Like, yes. and, and it wasn't that long ago that we nope. we were just that was the norm and people you know technology is advancing so quickly these days and entertainment is evolving with technology mm. so quickly that people it's like that wasn't that long ago that we used to have to wait a week for the new episode and now people mm-hmm. are acting like if i can't have it all at once i'm gonna go <laughs> fucking postal that's so inconvenienced everyone oh my god can you imagine waiting six whole days <laughs> I'm telling you, so I I grew up. I mean, like, look, I, 
I had my family had five or six TVs in our house. You know, every one of our oh bedrooms. Oh my god! Guest what? Bedroom. Why? Uh, well, be- be- well, because we watched so much TV. So every night we had at least four of these six TVs recording <laughs> something with a VHS tape. Oh. And then we would spend the weekends like we had a fucking chart and everything on our fridge. So we would spend the weekends watching all the things on our VHS tapes just so we could tape over them the next week with the new episodes. <laughs> oh my god, Trace! I feel like I. Uh, like another piece of the puzzle has just clicked into place. <laughs> I didn't have that, but I grew up in a family where there was always a TV on. There was always mm. like a central TV that was just always on. And then there were many sub TVs throughout the house, usually in the bedrooms. And there was just always the background noise, the 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 white noise of just the TV being left on. And it's one of my trashiest qualities is that I, you know, like I am now just someone who puts on the TV and then wants to go about my business. And sometimes when people aren't used to me, they come over and I'm like, hi, it's so nice to see you. I can't wait to visit. Put on a TV show and then start talking to them. And they're like, why did you put on Seinfeld just to be distracting in the background? Like it's ambiance, it's background. But Jinx, are you a person who like falls asleep with the TV on? Yes, to, much oh. to my husband's chagrin. And I've 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 been pract- I've been getting better at it. I've been trying more and more to sleep without the TV. But when I'm on tour and it's my rules, you know mm-hmm. uh, that mm. uh, that hotel TV. I travel with my PlayStation Five just so that I can oh. play video games and watch the tv i want to watch this is something i only started doing when i quit drinking i said you know what i quit drinking i'm gonna be difficult in this regard and travel (laughs) everywhere with my playstation 5 because i need a new way to wind down at the end of the night (laughs) wait a minute okay so for anyone that does not own a playstation 5 this thing is a monstrosity it is an enormous (laughs) piece of technology (laughs) Oh my god, Jinx, are you a diva? Do you have like a manservant who carries the PlayStation 5 around for you? No, I actually, I just had to buy new cases for all my stuff because my back is going out on me because I'm traveling around with a backpack and a PlayStation 5. That is so, literally whenever someone comes over to my apartment and they've never seen a PlayStation, they, they, they look at it and they're like, what is that? And I'm like, that's the PlayStation 5. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that obelisk in the middle of the room. <laughs> yeah, it has some very like a vaginal opening on the front. I guess the side of the front, depending on how you're laying it. But like it, it just looks off. <laughs> but it works. So what you're saying is it's like Elvira. It's in the middle of the room and it's got a giant hole in it. I know how trashy this is gonna make me sound, but it looks like the sculpture that Marie makes in. <laughs> Everybody loves Raymond. Marie makes a sculpture and it ends up looking like a vagina and it freaks everyone out. It looks like that (laughs) sculpture. Just super white with a little bit of black in it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, (laughs) that's amazing. Uh, Wait, actually, I'm sorry. Really quick, though. What what is your on on tour go to game? Overwatch. That's like uh, Overwatch, like, you mm. know, because it's all it's all rounds and matches. So I can just I don't have a lot of time these days to play one of my long fantasy RPGs mm-hmm. like I like to. So Overwatch is my go to. And then if I have a day off, I might sink into something like right now I have 
Horizon Forbidden West. Barely given Ooh. any of my time, but it's there, ready for me. <laughs> when do when you play uh, uh, Over? Because Overwatch is multiplayer, right? Like, do you play with other people? Yeah, it's like capture the flag with superpowers. <laughs> do you just pop in and be like, "Hi, it's Jinx Monsoon"? No, <laughs> do you, like, hide in? no. Twelve-year-old boys are like, who? <laughs> No, I just get, you know, you get you get randomly queued in with a team. Mm-hmm. I don't have like there was a while that I was playing with um Jonan Vasquez. Va- Vasquez. Jonan Jonan Vasquez. <laughs> <laughs> um uh the creator of Invader Zim. Craziest oh, oh. like craziest like uh cross cross pollination, but we were chatting one day about Overwatch and then we started playing together. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> it's a small world. Yeah, uh, I, I made the mistake of making my username my first and last name, and so like, and I can't change it. So if I ever become famous, people are just gonna know who I am, and I really <laughs> fucked myself over with that one. Yeah, I'm sure you accidentally did that one. Oh no, people know who I am. It was 2009. It was Christmas. I got. It was my first PlayStation Three, and I got Batman: Arkham City, and I was so excited to play that I was like, "Fine, let me just set this up really quick." <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Okay, well, let's jump into Elvira. So for some of our listeners who may not know, I feel like everyone should know who Elvira is, but maybe you don't know why why she is, I guess. Why Elvira is? Okay. (laughs) That was my thing, honestly. Again, so I was always aware of Elvira, but I could not have told you what she was famous for or what she did. This is true, listeners. I have tried to educate Trace. And by educate, I just mean, well, she did the movie and she had that thing where she hosted (laughs) and you were always like, I just don't get it. And I was like, well, maybe when you watch the fucking movie, you'll understand. the, The concept of a hostess, which again, has been around for over half of a century. I'm sorry, almost a whole century. I, I guess because I never watched it, I didn't really understand the concept until Joe Bob kind of became came back, and my husband was like, oh my god, Joe Bob, I used to watch him all the time. And I was like, who? Um, I, I just didn't get it. But nevertheless, this is part of my education. Am I correct in believing, didn't she start on local cable and then get syndicated? Well, or is that just kind of like the story we've been fed? <laughs> you are correct. So it was local. It was only in L.A., it, it seems to be, so she nabbed a Coors Light commercial, and that seems to be when it really took her off into the mainstream. Like, it wasn't just LA people watching her, but at the same time, like, I know Joe Bob did, like, Monster Vision on TNT or TBS, and that was, like, 3 a.m. on weeknights. I think maybe Elvira could have been syndicated there, too, once she started becoming more uh, nationally well-known. Well, you, I mean, like, we've seen so many different versions of this throughout time, and Mystery Science Theater... 3000 isn't far off from what Elvira does, you know, and it's just funny. It's been part of our culture for so long in the background that (laughs) it is kind of funny that we, no one knows the true origins of when Elvira made it big because we're just like, yeah, yeah, she hosted movie things. We, we know this is (laughs) a thing. This is a way, you know, there's, there's, Jimmy Fallon, <laughs> Elvira, like these are people we know. <laughs> Joe and I were talking before you got on about how you know because like uh, you know Shutter brought Joe Bob back, but like we we got one Elvira special and we didn't really get more of that. I would love to watch a talk show hosted by Elvira. A hundred percent. Yes. God. Well, let's try to track the origins of Elvira, okay? So we're going to go start in 1981, and this is six years after the death of Larry Vincent, who starred as host Sinister Seymour of a, again, Los Angeles (laughs) weekend Mm -hmm. horror show called Fright Night. 
I have to believe Peter Vincent is somewhat based yes. on him. Okay. A hundred percent. Okay. But yeah, so he's dead. Six years later, the show producers are like, hey, we want to bring it back. But why don't we make it a hostess instead of a host? So they go back to horror hostess Mela Nurmi, who was the original Vampira. And again, that aired for one season of 50 episodes in 54 and 55. But Nurmi, believing she was too old to play Vampira again, um, she's like, hey, I'll help you do this, but I want to bring in a new host, like a protege for who I am. So she said, I'm only going to do this if you, um, if, I, if I can find and tutor the right actress myself. She had final approval to cast and personally train her as part of their contract agreement. However, she had had difficulty finding the right actress to be the new Vampira. Her top choice was Lola Falana, but the studio shut her down. And I couldn't really figure out why. However, given the time period, Lola, Lola Falana is a black woman, and I wonder mm. if that had something to do with it. No, why? Why would you think such a thing? <laughs> Producers were getting impatient, and so they just fucking ghosted Nermi. They like shut her out. They sent out a casting call behind her back, effectively breaking their own deal. Cassandra Peterson, who was a graduate of the comedy troupe The Groundlings, which of course would go on to deliver many, many SNL cast members, auditioned for the uh, for the role, and she got it. She and her best friend Robert Redding came up, came up with the sexy punk variant of the original Vampira dress, and I. I should point out here, the movie of Ari Mistress of the Dark is dedicated to Redding, who not only helped her come up with the outfit, but styled all of her wigs, but uh, sadly died from AIDS-related complications in 1986. So, short, so here's a little bit of drama for us. Shortly before the first taping, producers were still using the name Vampira. So Nurmi sent them a cease and desist letter because she was like, what the fuck, y'all? Yeah, rightfully so. They broke early for lunch during this taping. And basically they're like, cool, after they come back from lunch, we're going to change her name. It's, instead of Vampira, it's going to be Elvira. And we're going to, instead of playing her like how Nurmi plays Vampira, we're going to make her a Valley Girl type because it was different enough to where they were like, hey, th this will protect us from any legal ramifications. Oh <laughs> my God. And just do it up over lunch. Like, well, people are over at craft services can we just like whip up some new zhuzh so right before the court case and again this is woof Nurmi's lawyer abruptly and giving no reason quit the case keeping all evidence and case paperwork that had been collected and prepared it sounds like a payoff doesn't it <laughs> yes okay I, I call foul play mm-hmm with no way to get to the courthouse in downtown Los Angeles from Hollywood, because the thing is that Nurmi did not drive and her lawyer was, su was supposed to supply transportation to the court. No. This is like the stupidest reason for this poor woman to basically lose like a bunch of livelihood and have the ability to influence these decisions. It's the next American crime story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Murphy, no, back <laughs> off. But she was unable to make it to the court in time. The judge in the case had no other recourse than to rule against her and in favor of Peterson and the producers. But urban legend has been perpetuated over the years that it was only about the color of the dress, the wig, and a similar shtick, but the case was actually much more specific and detailed in those documents that Nurmi's lawyer um, kept with them. I wonder, you know, and this may be... Uh, be me entirely mm -hmm. just <laughs> spinning a yarn <laughs> trying to keep everything as idealistic in my head but you know i know from my own dealings in the industry mm -hmm. that half the time the the talent in these things don't even know about all the behind the scenes drama you know and there's i know El, elvira cassandra peterson i i know her in life and i know her to be just like one of the kindest most generous gracious people and just so lovely so i'm for me i'm gonna say 
these it's a bunch of men exploiting women and being assholes and hopefully cassandra was not like you know like over there like uh, <laughs> let's stick it to oh for, uh, <laughs> to vampire sure. i mean also like, this is obviously super early in peterson's career be it of elvira or not have you ever looked into like basically this all happened before with betty boop Oh. Like this entire thing happened with the character of Betty Boop and Helen Kane, who essentially was Betty Boop in real life. Oh, right. And then Betty Boop was so closely based off of what Helen Kane was doing and even singing some of the same songs that she was known for. And she tried to sue the cartoon company, but then the case got thrown out because some other woman that she had ripped oh, off her no. entire oh. character from came forward and there was just too there was no way to prove who invented this right. character well, and that's the thing with the uh, elvira thing so they were like <laughs> even with with the with all that shit with Naomi and her lawyer the judge still was like look like you're not doing vampira you you are you are doing something that is clearly influenced by her but you're mm-hmm. not doing the same character so i can't legally do anything here right but yeah. Nevertheless, um, so the show goes on, and it became Movie Macabre with Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which aired locally, and by locally, again, I, I think this means L.A. only, from 1981 to 1986. And her character rapidly gained notoriety with her tight-fitting, low-cut black gown, which obviously showed ample cleavage, which uh, something Vampira was absolutely not allowed to do in the 50s. Right, yeah. The movies featured on Movie Macabre were always B-grade or lower. Elvira reclined on a red Victorian couch, introducing and often interrupting the movie to lampoon the actors, the script, and the editing. Um, <laughs> adopting the flippant tone of a California Valley girl, she brought a satirical, sarcastic edge to her commentary, and of course reveled in dropping risque double entendres and making frequent jokes about her display of cleavage, which... I mean, it, it it's there. It, there's lots of cleavage there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you're also just describing the movie. <laughs> and what I love about Elvira is her reach was far enough that, like, again, The Simpsons, mm-hmm. they have a character named Booberella, <laughs> which is just... It's a very on-the-nose representation of Elvira in the Simpsons world, and it's hilarious to me. Um, but it's... I... Had to roast Elvira once. (laughs) It was the roast of Peaches Christ, and Elvira was one of the um, roasters on the dais. And my friend and uh, collaborator and writing partner, Nick Sahoya, wrote me a joke for Elvira, and I almost scrapped it. I said, I don't think this joke is going to work. And it was like he had to talk me into keeping it in my set. And, you know, like we write my set together. And so I always have veto power. And I don't know what decided, what made me decide to keep it in, but I kept it in and it fucking killed and it pisses me off to this day. (laughs) But the joke was Elvira. (laughs) Uh, Some people call you irrelevant, but (laughs) I can't even, I can't remember the joke. The punch, the punchline is, the punchline ends with, who wouldn't want to watch a second-rate vampira telling Rodney Dangerfield jokes? Ooh. I get no respect in this crypt. No respect. And something about saying no respect in this crypt, like, <laughs> just brought the house down. And I was furious. I was like, I cannot believe this is the joke that killed. But it's it's pretty succinct, you know? 
it's Vampira telling Rodney Dangerfield mm-hmm. jokes. Oh, for sure. But so did you want to pull it because you thought it was A, not funny, or B, too offensive, or both? Oh, I wasn't worried about it being too offensive. <laughs> Cassandra has a really great sense of humor, you know, and it's a roast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't hold back at roasts and... I think, you know, I, I think it's so evident that I love the people that I roast. Like, if I don't, it, it, my roasts for people I don't care for are really bland and boring. Ah. The harder I go in on <laughs> something, like it's because I, uh, yeah, because I know enough about ah. them to know what's funny to joke about and what, like, you know, and I know where to go mm. in. And she, you know, she loved that joke. I don't think it's particularly offensive. It's so, no. it's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Calling her a, a second-rate vampire. I mean, it's like, that's like, that's like 101 yeah. roasting. <laughs> you know, it's right there. The, the the fruit is laden with juices and all you have to do is pluck ah. it. <laughs> it's, it's a delicate balance, though, because, you know, I mean, like, sometimes people can just be plain mean without being funny in their rows so good for yeah. you so going into the okay how did elvira become famous how did she become maybe not a household name but a, a statewide name i don't know so elvira soon evolved from an obscure cult figure to a lucrative brand and i think that's the key here it wasn't necessarily that she was doing like movies and television she just became a brand that people became aware of she was associated with many products through the 1980s and 90s including halloween costumes comic books, action figures, trading cards, pinball machines, Halloween decor, model kits, calendars, perfumes, and dolls. She has appeared on the cover of Femme Fatale's magazine five times. She was a frequent returning guest on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, among other talk shows. She produced a long-running series of Halloween-themed television commercials for Coors Light Beer and Mug Root Beer, although her trademark cleavage was concealed from the Coors campaign, because I guess that was not family-appropriate for the beer. Well, you can't give sexual imagery in the same place you're giving alcohol, Uh... because then... You know, how can you expect a man to behave himself if he gets drunk while looking at cleavage, you know? It's a crime of passion at that point. Men can't control their impulses. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's, I'll get into it when we talk about oh the Oh my movie. God, very fair, very fair. Um, she, she also appeared in guest roles in television dramas like Chips, The Fall Guy, and Fantasy Island, appeared on numerous award shows as the presenter. So about this time, uh, this is probably around actually 86, uh, 85 in the fourth season of her show. She was like, I want to make a movie because it wasn't just people in L.A. seeing her. Everyone around the country knew who she was. So enter NBC president Brandon Tartikoff, who really loved the character of Elvira. He really got it and got along really well with Peterson. He's like, hey, I want to do a sitcom for Elvira and I want to put it in primetime. And she talked with her producer and he was like, look. You can do this. The problem is in the 80s, as soon as you go to primetime, you are therefore branded a TV star. And you cannot make it in Hollywood. Hollywood will not take you seriously. It's not the same today. No. But back then, TV was TV and it was a a rung lower on the ladder of the entertainment business. So she reluctantly passed on this offer to have a primetime Elvira sitcom on NBC. A few months go by and Tartikoff calls her back and goes, hey... I just secured funds from Jack Welch, who was the chairman of G&E, who at the time owned NBC. And he's like, he's going to give me all this money to start NBC production. So we're going to make TV shows, but we're also going to make movies under this banner. So I want to make your Elvira movie on the offer that no matter how many movies we make, whether it's one, two, three, or five, 
I have first right of refusal on the Elvira sitcom. And that is exactly the deal that went through. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. Had the movie done better. Uh, Yeah, there is that. We have three credited screenwriters on Elvira Mistress of the Dark. Uh, Peterson was obviously one of them, but she brought in her frequent writing collaborator, John Paragon. Now, John Paragon, they met in the comedy troupe The Groundlings, and he worked his way up from recurring guest star as the breather character on her show. So in Movie Macabre, like between like like movies and when she was coming and doing her commentary, she would frequently get phone calls from the breather who would just well, breathe on the phone and say lewd jokes to her that she would act all offended by. But he eventually got upgraded to an uh, actual writer on Moving Macabre. But then they bring in Sam Egan uh, into the fold because he was an experienced TV writer. Um, He impressed Peterson with a script for his Fall Guy episode. Uh, And this is not the video game. This is actually a sitcom that existed in the 80s, uh, October the 31st, which he had written explicitly for Elvira. But Peterson's on record saying that while he was integral to this process um she does think that nbc put him on there because she they needed someone to keep track of her and paragon as groundlings because they were uh yeah they probably ran a little wild yes. and they wanted <laughs> they wanted someone with industry cred and experience to make sure that the ship stayed right and see and that's what i'm so happy that like it seems like we're shifting away or because we have so many different platforms with so many different rules and regulations, you know, like we're seeing a lot more work coming from the creators where there's less people. Yes. Yes. Because I feel like, I wonder what this movie could have been if, if there weren't, if there weren't like money people interfering, thinking about the broad audience and, neutering it down but then i also think like (laughs) you know that it is a very good representation of what elvira's material Mm -hmm. is you know and there's some things that are so genius about it that i'm like was it just ahead of its time or was it too meta at points or who knows why a movie doesn't do well, well. Uh, I actually <laughs> we have, have theories. I, I have answers. I have answers for you, Jinx. <laughs> but no, like, honestly, like, this again, as someone who do, is not super familiar with Elvira, like I was like, oh, I, I, I get, I get her appeal here. I also love just the general story of like you know, fish out of water. I mean, I feel like the Brady Bunch movie would go on to take. this this outline of a script and use it for them you know putting a family from the 70s and the 90s but um for the director so okay and speaking of like what ifs peterson wanted tim burton to direct this film because she appeared in a small role in peewee's big adventure so she was like cool get this guy to do it he knows what he's doing could see it especially at this time well do you know what came out the same year as this beetlejuice yeah beetlejuice So he was tied up with Beetlejuice. Um, so Tartikoff, again, this NBC guy, he taps James Signorelli to direct. And Signorelli had only had one feature film to his credit, but he had been prolifically churning out commercial parodies on Saturday Night Live since 1977. I think that works for this movie, but I think when we yeah. get into the negative reception for this movie, that's going to play a hand in that. Hmm. As for the film itself, though, so Tartikoff and casting director Joel Thurm wanted to, as Jinx said, broaden Elvira's appeal and move away from horror movies, make it less racy and all that jazz. And I think that's pretty interesting, given the fact that we do have the utterance of the word blowjob in this PG-13 film. I was shocked (laughs) to hear that. Tartikoff was apparently great and one of Peterson's favorite TV executives, but NBC said, if the audience is made up of teenagers, then we have to have teenagers in the movie. (sighs) So, while 
I do think in the end, like the teenagers work here. It's fine. Yeah. They did have to add them in to their script and therefore remove a lot of screen time for these side characters that were played by the groundlings. So in the reviews, they're like, ooh, there's no characters to latch on to. Well, that's because they had to add in these teenage characters and remove all this other stuff with these other like fun uh, uh, characters. Uh, not not much fun information about casting. Uh, many of the roles in the film were played by Cassandra Peterson's associates and the Groundlings, but um, I will say that Uncle Vinny was supposed to be played by Vincent Price. Uh. He was friends with Peterson, but he... Apparently, there are conflicting reports. Some say he passed because of the racy material, which I... I don't... I could believe it. Really? I, I don't know, man. Like, he was super liberal by this time. <laughs> like, fooling around with men. Well, n- not like publicly. <laughs> In the town square, like, look what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> but some, some say that they couldn't afford him. So I'm going to choose right. to believe that. And that, that Vincent Price did not willfully turn down Elvira Mistress of the Dark because it was, quote unquote, too racy. The other, again, this is one of those what ifs, too. The role of Randy, um, I'll give you both a dollar if you can tell me who this character is. Um, oh yeah. narr- it was narrowed down <laughs> to two actors. It was Chris Cam and a very then unknown Brad Pitt. Cam won the part because Peterson felt that if Pitt was in the movie, he was so hot that it wouldn't make sense for Elvira to go after Bob when this 20-something Brad Pitt playing a teenager (laughs) was right there. Randy's the one that ends up going for, um, what's her name, you know, Robin, after she gets the Sandy makeover. Mm -hmm. Damn it, Jinx, now I owe you a dollar. (laughs) Jinx, don't forget to collect at the end of the podcast. Add it to the pile, yeah. (laughs) We'll play a game of uh, Overwatch and we'll see who wins. Um, Two out of three. Um, So, okay, the film was shot over a span of eight weeks, beginning in January, uh, sorry, between January and March of 88, one of the most problematic issues was actually Peterson's co-star, not a person, but Benny, the temperamental poodle playing gunk. <laughs> Random factoid. So I, out of nowhere, last night, so I watched this movie last night and I was like a little high and I was like, I just want to watch something that I, I've had on my list forever. So I went down my list and I I'd never seen the movie Ruthless People with Danny DeVito and uh, Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. Amazing film. I really, really liked it. It's a great comedy of errors. Little did I know, the fucking dog that plays Gonk in this movie is also in that movie. <laughs> Perfect pairing. Good times, good times. Um, but anyway, this fucker uh, did not seem to like anyone except his trainer. It had trouble hitting its mark. It didn't perform properly. It actually attacked Kurt Fuller's ankle, and Kurt Fuller's the guy who plays the real estate agent, uh, Mr. Glotter. He was left with long-lasting scars from this dog, and the ent- entire scenes had to be dubbed to mute the trainer's commands. Oh, wow. So, I didn't catch any bad dubbing here, though, so it looked fine to me. Mm-mm. So, going into the release. Once Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, was in post-production, Tartikoff, again, producer of this movie doing NBC shit, he was like, oh, I guess we need, like, a distributor for this to put it in theaters. Honey, how that works. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Can I interject just to say that there's this other detail of all of this is that Tartikoff sounds like an evil Russian wizard who's like somehow the producer of, I mean, like this sounds like a Marvel movie plot now, like Elvira is like being uh, taken under the wing of Tartikoff, who may not have the best intentions for her power. Um. I mean, it is the end of the Cold War, so. Oh my God. It's so bizarre. I will say, so so I have the Arrow Blu-ray of this and there there is a, making of featurette that is longer than the movie itself. <laughs> but, 
but 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 peterson does say that she thinks that tartikoff was the last tv executive she ever met to have a sense of humor so while he may okay. sound like an evil russian dictator he apparently was a pretty good guy he hey just i said wizard okay <laughs> he's got he's got a wizard sleeve going on sure um but yes i i, I he just i don't he i don't think he knew what he was doing in hollywood in, in terms of film stuff like he did not he was not on top of his shit for lack of a better phrase well, yeah, because it sounds like maybe the deal that they struck with her was a kind of new thing, right? So make the movie, but also make the TV show. I wonder if this guy's background was just more in TV and then film stuff was new. I mean, he didn't know he needed a distributor for the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, granted, I don't know movie business stuff that much, but I feel like that's people forget that production companies and distributors mm -hmm. are different beasts. Usually. This is true. Yes. Anyway, so um, but he was like, "Oh, hey, but um, our head of miniseries just moved over to New World Entertainment, which is um opening up a new independent film distribution company." And listeners, if you're like New World Entertainment, that sounds really fucking familiar. Um, that would be because they also released Hellraiser one and two and Heather's um before going bankrupt. Uh. And when did they go bankrupt, Trace? After this movie. So, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The, the day before this movie went to theaters. So, they locked that deal, and Elvira Mistress of the Dark was released on September 30th, 1988, in 627 theaters, opening in the number seven spot with $1.7 million. Now, Boo. okay, let me, let me, let me, like, uh, set the scene. First of all. New World Pictures supposedly went out of business literally the day before this movie came to theaters, causing <laughs> the number of theaters showing the film to drop from over a thousand theaters or screens to 627, which obviously helped uh, helped the low box office, uh, aided to the low box office. Also not helping the film is that the trades were reporting that New World Entertainment was possibly going under and not making its interest payments. So the movie theaters... We're like, oh shit, well, New World's not going to be writing us checks anymore for the advertising and marketing in all the theaters. So um, they just basically, as the weeks went on, they kept dropping theaters for Elvira. So it wasn't, right. this was not just, uh, oh, people don't know her. This was a business fuck up of the highest order. Yeah. For comparison, though, the number one movie that weekend was Gorillas in the Mist. Yay, Sigourney Weaver. Um, should have won an Oscar, but whatever. This had just expanded from a limited release of 20 theaters to 558 theaters, which is almost 100 less than Elvira, but grossed $3.5 million. So, again, it's like, okay, the number one movie made $3.5 The number seven movie made $1.7 It's not a big deal. This movie flopped because of the New World shit. Yeah, and I think the problem too is that the optics look particularly bad, right? So business-wise, it looks like, oh, this company's not doing well. So within the industry, people are talking they're getting rid of the film because it's going to cost them money. And then the movie debuts in seventh spot. And sure, the number between the financial difference between one and seven is not huge, but a movie debuting in seventh place doesn't look good. So people are like, eh, well, it's probably not very good. So they don't go. Well, and again, so between one and seven, we had popular films like A Fish Called Wanda in number three and Die Hard in number five. However, both of these films were in their 12th week of release. It sounds to me like enough people with enough resources saw... <laughs> The brilliance of Elvira and wanted to share her in a very big way. Yeah. And they 
didn't particularly have the know-how or the game plan with which to do this. It reminds me of kind of like, you know, like, it, it just makes me kind of think of I Love Lucy or The Nanny, you know, where it's like there was just someone obsessed with this powerful woman and built an mm-hmm. altar to her. <laughs> yeah, right. And it sounds like the people building the altar to Elvira were short-sighted. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I actually, I didn't watch, I mean, it's on my fucking Blu-ray, I didn't watch the trailer for this movie. Did I don't, have, you, have there one of y'all seen the trailer for this movie? No. I, I think at one point in my life, but yeah, not yeah. recently. I, I just, yeah, I just, I, I I don't know how it was marketed, because again, it's it, it might be a thing where it's like, it's inside baseball, where it's like, oh, like only Elvira fans want to go see her, but the whole point of this movie was to broaden her audience base. So, mm-hmm. Someone or multiple people done fucked up. <laughs> yes. And not the movie's fault, because when you watch the movie, it's fucking delightful. Uh, well, you, you should go read some. You know what? Give me a second. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> anyway, it wound up with a domestic gross of $5.6 million against a production budget of $7.5 million. So this was effectively a flop. However, on home video, the film shipped 180,000 copies in the first week. And I have no metrics of comparison, but apparently that was pretty good. And this is a time when home video was costing $89.95 to buy a VHS tape for a movie. That rental market, not the buyer's market. It's so funny, like, discussing this, like, what, a month or two after Tremors, when that also was a big home video release? I feel like if this movie came out two years later, it would have done Mm. better on home video, or, like, it would have been more known for doing well on home video, but... Probably. So, reception. We are looking at a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, with an average score of 4.9 out of 10. Boo! (laughs) So, a common critique of this film is that there is no plot... Which I vehemently disagree with. The plot is that she wants $50,000. Yeah, and she goes to a small town. It's basically footloose with magic. Yeah, I mean, the plot is secondary to just watching Elvira Mm -hmm. do her bit, you know? (laughs) But but it is such an iconic plot. You know, she has a distant relative who passes away. She inherits a spooky mansion. Like, we know that plot. And then you add Mm -hmm. in that she needs to raise $50,000 so she can do her show in Vegas. It's, I mean, like, it's a lot of layers, but it also is like, it's a fairly simple plot. So anyone to say that there is no plot is just not trying to give this movie any credit. It's, so I challenge both of you after, maybe maybe, maybe tomorrow after we've gotten our yayas out, but like, go go watch the Siskel and Ebert at the movies review of this film. <laughs> I will not. Um... <laughs> They're they're not like super mean to it like they would be to something like say Friday the Thirteenth where they're like ooh watch out for the children but it's very much a Elvira shtick works well in intermittent bursts say when you're watching a movie and she comes in on a commercial break however at a ninety six minute runtime it gets really old really fast and again I mm. disagree <laughs> I disagree yeah. I think that camp is an acquired taste and I feel right. like. I feel like because we uh, mainstream media is embracing camp in a mm-hmm. different way than it ever has before, I feel mm-hmm. like that's why this film, it would have a cult following if enough people were talking about it, you know, because the things right. that you love about RuPaul's Drag Race are just 
everywhere in oh. this. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's like a you know like you could you could see that Elvira and RuPaul have been friends for years in this movie, or that they come from a similar era and time with a similar appreciation of camp. Then you take into factor that like you know Elvira. Cassandra Peterson, the person who helped her create the character, I I would venture to say was queer. Elvira, Cassandra herself, you know, recently came out of the closet. Mm -hmm. So you have to assume, and and you look at the character, you look at what she's doing. She's doing drag. There's no, there's no, like, there's no other way to define it. So... Camp and the drag sensibility that is running rampant in this film, I don't think people had the tools with which to watch it back then. You know, like they didn't have the tools readily available to them to appreciate the flavor of camp that's being served in this movie. <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you. You're right. We are seeing a lot more camp, be it intentional or, I'm sorry, we are seeing a lot more intentional camp nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I'm conflicted because Elvira is intentional camp and it works, but I think we, we, we sometimes see things where it's like, sometimes there is a pretension with intentional camp where it's like, look at how funny we are because we're so bad. It's like, no, 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 you're just bad. Just like bad. That, That's just what you're doing. And I think that that's, again, it's like the difference between good camp and bad camp mm. is when it's done by someone within the community who who was raised mm. understanding camp versus when a producer tries to recreate something that belongs to a community and the inauthentic the inauthenticity like reeks upon it you know mm-hmm. right well no one got it because uh <laughs> <laughs> all that to say <laughs> this, this film received uh a one razzie award nomination uh for cassandra peterson for worst actress in 1989 and she did lose um love this to liza minnelli who won for both arthur two on the rocks and rent-a-cop and i <laughs> This is what? homophobia of the highest order. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like, what the fuck? Again, watching this for the first time last night, I was like, I don't... If you want to put your rules of what makes a good film and a bad film on this, fine. Put that in your review. But for me, I'm always like, what is the movie trying to do? And is it successful at doing that? And this movie, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is accomplishing what it's trying to do. But I also don't understand watches and be like, how does someone not get a modicum of enjoyment watching this movie? Like, I belly laughed several times watching this movie. Yeah, like, are you so dead inside that you can't understand the comedy? It may not be for you. It may not quite hit. I obviously think the three of us are in a more prime demographic who appreciate some of the campy delights that this film offers. But you really got to be a fucking stick in the mud to watch this and be like, oh, no, I'm getting nothing out of this. Well, and I mean, like, and then we have to address, even though this is pretty tame pretty low heat Mm -hmm. racy humor Mm -hmm. especially today but like you just can't not consider the factor that she was a feminist icon being a woman who owned her sexuality had zero shame around her sexuality and even though the movie itself is a celebration of that the reception of the film is still going to be tinged with you know like we don't want to see a woman who 
who isn't ashamed that she's sexual, you know, Ugh. even though that's what the character is designed to be. And the, literally what it's all about. And it's all tongue in cheek <laughs> and it's all self-deprecating. And, you know, even in this film, we see her constantly throwing herself at a man who doesn't reciprocate with the same fervor. You know, it's all it's all very <laughs> tongue in cheek. But it's like, you know, you can't deny that, like, any woman expressing her sexuality is going to be met with uh, what women are met with in this country mm -hmm. when they express their sexuality. But, you know, you're 100% right, Jake. And it's the thing where it's like, and I know I've mentioned Joe Bob Briggs a bunch of times. Like, I have... I have my own issues with him, but it's the thing where I'm like, look, Joe Bob has had this resurgence of like, you know, you go on this shit. And I feel like Elvira, since this movie came out, has gotten a raw deal from every single avenue. And look, there is nothing wrong with being on the convention circuit and like, you know, going like th th that's a good moneymaker. Get that money. Yep. And so not to imply that that is less than like having a, a TV show or a movie. But she should have other opportunities yes. <laughs> on par with because she is also yeah. let's also acknowledge she's been fucking doing the work for a very long time. Yeah. Like, that needs to be recognized. I have this feeling that there's probably... And I don't have any insider knowledge. You know, like, I, hmm. I adore Cassandra. And every time we've worked together, every time we've crossed paths, she's just been everything you'd want out of someone you've worshipped your whole life, you know? So I don't have any insider knowledge, so don't go pulling quotes or any shit, you know? <laughs> but I... Oh my god, Jinx, we get it. You're in Cassandra Peterson's pocket. You're in big Cassandra Peterson. <laughs> Listen, I just know I've watched what's happened with Jennifer Coolidge recently and to a lesser degree, but I'm also noticing this ha like a, a, a quieter resurgence for B.B. Newirth, who's suddenly doing a mm. bunch of voice acting in a lot oh. of really interesting animated work. I don't think we need to worry as long as she's viable and as long as she's working. I don't think we need to worry because... We don't know what's in store. And the public right. reaction to her coming out was so wonderful. So good. Mm -hmm. And so amazing. And there's this part of me that's like, it kind of puts what she's always been doing into a whole new perspective. So if you don't already appreciate the character of Elvira for just like the tongue in cheek nature, taking the same thing that men were doing for year years, making jokes about sex, being like mm -hmm. being sexually aggressive, being zero guilt, zero shame, flagrant display of one's sexuality, you know, using her tits as a joke, um, <laughs> uh, doing what a drag queen does with dicks. She does with her own breasts, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. <laughs> everything's a tit joke. And then if you now look back on it, on, uh, if you look back retrospectively and put in the layer that she has been in a committed relationship with a woman for, for years and has self-identified as queer for years, it layers in this nuance and this like, I don't know. It's, it's not that she's more brilliant because she's queer, but... It's more brilliant because she's queer. She has been a straight right. sex icon for decades. And meanwhile, she's one of us. And that's why she's resonated with mm -hmm. us for so long. And I think that is going to lead to the, the next renaissance of El Elvira, that authenticity and that new connection 
that her long-standing fan base has had with her. I really, really, really hope you're right about that, Jinx, because, I mean, <laughs> even just watching interviews with her, I'm just like, she's, whether she is being Cassandra or if she's in her Elvira persona, like, she is just delightful listen. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, I want to keep watching her talk. She's so candid, so funny. And yeah, to be like, oh, she's one of us the whole time. Yes! Yes! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She's been playing all those straight men for fools. Yeah, there's such power in that, and 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 we see it in the film. What I love about the film, in regards to you know feminism, mm-hmm. everything we've been talking about that the Elvira character brings to the table, and then to see like basically every man in the film just be disgusting, just foul. <laughs> and it's just like, and she is always in charge. It, it does kind of make me, I was kind of thinking, oh my God, I can't believe how many movies of this era though like if you think of Tu Wong Fu and you think of like <laughs> it basically it's just funny that so many films are like if you leave the city as a feminine presenting person with sex appeal you should You're just fucked. expect to be sexually assaulted constantly yes. <laughs> like I'm also just like imagining all these men in the audience that are like wait why is she turning down these guys who are grabbing her hooters like she's asking for it she's dressed like it she wants it but I'm so good Confused. Oh wait, is my name Chastity? Mm. The, com- the, com- the, the, the commentary in this movie is so apparent, and mm-hmm. again, that's something where I'm surprised that critics at the time didn't see that part of it, right? But it's also because we're living in a well, the eighties, yeah. <laughs> misogyny. Choice, it's just because they're so woke. Yeah. Well, like the satire, the commentary is smacking you in the face. You know, it's motorboating you the whole yeah. time. <laughs> Satirical motorboating. And I feel like anyone discrediting the film is willfully, you know, ignoring the commentary that's being made. Right. Like, yes, it's cheesy. Yes, it's slapstick, Borscht Belt, Rodney Dangerfield style jokes. But that's what's so hilarious about it is it's like, <laughs> that's what I love about it is she's this sex icon who's this goofy nerd, essentially. And all the time that she's, she keeps showing her, like in the film, she has this glamorous dream sequence where she's going up the spiral staircase in this long flowing black nightgown and she's got too much hair and she's like, she's every femme fatale in every macabre movie. And then she wakes up and she's just like in her band t-shirt and she's got her hair wrapped up and she's, you know, like she's, she's this sexy bombshell weirdo goofy nerd and that's what makes her so palatable is that she's got this sexy side but then she's also got this juvenile innocence and when she's making the spell from the from the cookbook she doesn't think twice about putting earthworms in it because that's what the instructions say (laughs) she's like a she's like a clown character she's got the innocence of a child and then the and then the sex drive of an average american man (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly that put that on her wikipedia page (laughs) (laughs) but um that's really it i mean before i pass it off to you joe so we can go through the movie itself um just really quickly peterson did sell a a script for a sequel um pretty immediately after this movie came out however it got tied up in red tape when coralco pictures another uh doomed 80s distributor uh went bankrupt uh this is a i always associate them with terminator 2 because that's why it took terminator 3 to come out okay 
But she followed through with plans to star in a sitcom, uh, but 1993's The Elvira Show did not secure a spot on the TV schedule when CBS uh, passed on it. And you say, well, wait, Trace, I thought NBC had the first right of refusal. Uh, they did, and they refused, because Tartikoff had left NBC by this point, so she didn't have someone on her side there. God damn it. Fucking Russian wizard abandoned her <laughs> in her moment of need. I will say, if you want, the pilot for The Elvira Show, which did not air, which was not picked up, is on YouTube for, um, well, for illegal purposes. But it's there. It's there. So <laughs> you can watch it and see what would have been. And it's also, if you um, watch Margaret Cho's comedy special, I believe it's Notorious CHO, she is very candid and talks a lot about what it was like being a woman leading a sitcom in the early oh, 90s. Yes. Margaret Cho had a raw deal too. Yeah, and if you think back to what it like what there was one female-led sitcom in the early 90s late 80s for every 5 male-led, you know, and then the standards put on the women to be in primetime television were insane, impossible. You had to both be a sex, uh, you had to have sex appeal, but be seen as a Madonna type. It was like huge mm -hmm. news that Murphy Brown was an unwed mother. It was like, uh, you know, yep. the, it was a crazy, crazy battlefield for women at this time. So to hear that a Novira pay, a pilot didn't make it to air doesn't surprise me at all unfucking cbs no less like <laughs> oh what a shock where, where was fox <laughs> where the fuck was fox <laughs> i don't think fox wait i'm saying i don't think fox exists yet did fox even exist yet yeah maybe no <laughs> mayor with children put fox on the map which would have been 88 so actually yeah would have, this would have been prime fox would have been riding the mary with children train at this time well in that case fuck you fox <laughs> suppose supposedly again this is all rumor it's hearsay at this point Point. but the the guy at cbs was again really into elvira but he supposedly either got sick or the flu or something to where he had to go on like a like a lengthy leave of absence this is a seinfeld episode i know <laughs> <laughs> no so the guy that came in to take over his shit while he was sick was a big sports guy and apparently balked at her cleavage and said we cannot have that on our network every week we can just have men's tight asses as they pass the rubber uh, football back and forth, but sure, no cleavage. I reiterate, Married with Children is on Fox right now in its fifth or sixth season. <laughs> Absolutely wild. The industry is slow moving with so... It's true. I mean, like, yeah, it's... It, and, and then when you do see the representation that got fought for it's so watered down and so inauthentic so many times the the power should be in the hands of the creators because the creators are hearing the actual response from their audience it's like yep they wouldn't be there doing their thing and you wouldn't be interested in the in them in the first place if they weren't doing something right but when you get people interfering and trying to like turn it into what they think everyone wants to watch that's when it comes out like crap yeah I, I, you always wonder what's going through studio executives minds right like what Money. what makes y'all think y'all have your finger on the pulse of american like like uh mindsets i, I whatever it, well, i got focus groups <laughs> i mean that's like the nielsen rating system right i don't trust that shit i was i literally used to think that there was literally like a machine in all of our tvs that tracked what we were watching i didn't need to sign up to be a nielsen family i would have done that a long time ago anyway so joe what's this about what's this movie with no plot about 
Right, yes. I've only got three pages of no plots. So. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, we open with a mild case of sexual harassment at Elvira's current hosting gig, and it's a big to-do, but basically the introduction is that she's fired, she needs 50k to launch her Vegas show, which she does not have, but luckily there is a fortuitous death in the family that she didn't know, so her great-aunt has died, and she has to make the trip to Falwell, Massachusetts, in her black leopard print convertible with the vanity plate kick ass we're already getting some groundlings here though i do want to point out that the um the uh the uh the anchor woman who's like is there anything that shames you is trust me neil who some of us <gasps> may know as the voice of dot from animaniacs she's the voice of i had no idea that was trust mcneil <laughs> trust mcneil is such a hero to me she's the voice of everything yes she's she, everywhere she also does the voice for um aunt morgana despite the fact that she is not portraying aunt morgana mm, because cassandra portrays Yes, oh exactly. Yeah. But no, M- M- McNeil's voice is always Dot from Animaniacs and Gadget from Chippendale. But I mean, yes, she has been in, she's voiced many, <laughs> many cartoon characters. <laughs> she's all over Futurama, Disenchanted. Um, she's she's big in The Simpsons. She's she's in tight with graining. So she's <laughs> she's so she's doing fine. Is what you're saying? Yeah, she's one of my heroes because she voices Mom on Futurama, which is one of my um, you know, one of my icon, my my patron divas. <laughs> yes, is this one of your before bed shows that you leave on when you go to sleep? Um, now that I do a Futurama podcast, I I save it for the <laughs> podcast because I get confused because I've seen the whole series of Futurama so many times that if I watch it in my personal time i get confused of which episode we're actually talking about oh that's podcast. so interesting because that, that, that for me and my husband that's american dad american dad is our before bed oh, like, cartoon show that's my guilty pleasure of choice is american dad <laughs> we do not have guilty pleasures in this house jinx what the fuck are you saying <laughs> they're just guilty wait no they're just pleasures <laughs> oh god so joe american dad podcast you're gonna start watching all right moving on okay so we get this montage of different things as she makes her way but ultimately we end up in Falwell. it is immediately coded as a ultra conservative family values oriented small town and she also immediately runs afoul of local biddy chastity pariah played by (laughs) edie mcclurg just genius also like okay i'm sorry to bring in john waters to this because i know we're not talking about john waters but i get so much john waters in this movie yeah Mm. and i feel like i mean look this is gonna come later because it's john waters later filmography but i feel like this would make a really good double feature with um cecil be demented which is also tackling like the family values censoring family media and like i just ah, like as soon as as i realized this is what we were doing with this movie i was on board from the (laughs) get-go mm-hmm I just love that she <laughs> she seems to operate in Adam's family rules where mm-hmm. the right. contemporary world exists but she exists in her own timeline and just interacts with normal people. There's also especially early in the movie where <laughs> there's this effect that's happening <laughs> that <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like when people Oh, it's like she's speaking a foreign language 
Because there's so many scenes where she's rattling off joke after joke after joke, (laughs) and the person will respond to maybe just the last thing she said, or the first thing she said, and it's like everything else was just gibberish they didn't understand. And it feels like kind of similar to the genie in Aladdin, where the genie, being this otherworldly being, can make references to things that have nothing to do with what they're currently dealing with, can break the fourth wall, is constantly turning and talking to the audience, and the people Mm -hmm. around the genie just go about their business because they're like, whatever, I'm never going to understand the genie, you know? But you you are correct. I I think, and I'm using my parents as a litmus test here. (laughs) Like, my parents, watching this, I was like, what? I could watch this and be like, okay, I know why my mom and dad did not like this or why they said like, oh, you don't need to watch that trace. It wasn't because it was necessarily inappropriate for me. It was because they didn't want to sit with me and watch this movie <laughs> because they right. just, it, it, it just I, this isn't their type of humor. And so I imagine that for some people, it's too absurd and they don't, they, they, they don't find it funny because they find it stupid instead, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Which is unfortunate for me because I'm thinking like my dad would have probably really appreciated this because he would have appreciated her cleavage, but also <laughs> the wordplay because like my family, we grew up watching things like the naked gun. And to me, that's the same kind of, it's not quite as campy, but it's very much like gag humor. We are breaking the fourth wall or we're doing things that feel like they're playing to the audience as opposed to the world of the film. But because this is horror oriented and you know, it stars a somewhat provocative female. Like my dad, my parents would have never watched this because they're like, oh, that's not for us. Yeah, I was going to cite Naked Gun as well because it feels like very similar rules where it's like mm-hmm. cartoony when it needs to be cartoony. And and that's how we don't feel bad when like people are randomly dying at, <laughs> like <laughs> around Elvira because it's so cartoony. Like there's a part of us that's like, he didn't really die in that gas station explosion. He's just going to come exactly. out the other end, like covered in soot and be like, what happened? Um, you know, <laughs> like, and I like it for that. Like every time she finds an excuse to jump up and down, just to be <laughs> jumping up and down. It's like it's like a drinking game. You know, it's like it's like take a shot every time Elvira finds a, a half-ass excuse to jump up and down. You know, it's oh so God. funny that dream sequence alone, where she just jumps and laughs, like <laughs> or yeah. presses her titties up against the the windshield of the car as she wipes the windshield. It's like mm-hmm. tits mm-hmm. don't even appeal to me, but I'm living for every tit joke because oh, yeah. it's so it's so self-aware of what it's doing, and it's so funny because it's just like it's the classic comedy model of setup and punchline but the punchline mm-hmm. is always her tits <laughs> I, I, i'm also not a tit person <laughs> but i will say that w- without being sexually attracted to tits i am fascinated by cassandra peterson's tits every time they're on screen in all 97 minutes of this movie i just they're, they're just so <laughs> they're aesthetically pleasing to my eyes if not necessarily something that turns me on well because i mean like i don't know what the understructure is in that dress but it's magnificent it's like (laughs) it is defying the fact that it can be that low cut but that her boobs can be that pressed together so that again they look like cartoon Mm -hmm. boobs you know they look like perfectly drawn boobs on a live living human (laughs) yeah she looks like a dark jessica rabbit exactly 90% of this movie the 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 tape though that must be all over her nipples like 
that has to be a lot, right? Like, I, there's so many times where I'm like, how are they not, how are we not seeing nipples? Well, and therein is why she's, like, there's nothing else to call this but drag, you know? And, <laughs> and what I love is it also kind of follows the drag rules. I think my favorite part of the entire movie is the flashbacks to baby Elvira. Oh my God, wearing the full face of makeup. Wearing the full face of makeup, <laughs> implying that she's not wearing makeup. That is just her <laughs> face. That it's is just her face. She always looked like that. And what I love about where the plot goes, and sorry to take your job, Joel, but I just, I think it, we have to segue into that, like, while it starts up as, while the film starts as, like, you know, Elvira's got to raise this money. It's the summer camp movie. You know, we've got to raise $50,000 or the summer camp gets shut down. <laughs> as soon as you're getting used to that plot, then you find out, she's also in a horror movie and that's when it gets meta is this horror movie host leaves hosting horror movies to end up in a cheesy B horror movie (laughs) and it's meta and it's perfect. And it's also like, then we get the backstory of Elvira. She's from a family of witches. She's got magic powers. Like we want her to have, we want Elvira to be powerful. Well, that's the thing, right? So listeners, again, like I'm speaking mostly to our younger ones here, but like, if if you are like, hopefully you're listening to this and haven't seen it, but like, if you haven't seen this movie, this is a good Elvira primer because it is essentially her origin story. Yeah. And it's incredibly accessible. So even if you don't have any experience to her, like that opening sequence, it's not just to establish the precedent that men in this world suck and will sexually harass her at every opportunity. But also you get to see her in action, what she's doing. Like, sure, she's being carried away by men as they prep for the news, but you're still getting the flavor of what she would normally do. The, the, the first joke she says is the gal with the enormous uh, <laughs> ratings uh, sold, 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 yeah. sold. Immediately, you've won me over. <laughs> and how liberating this must have felt to Elvira uh, to Cassandra Peterson, you know, to be able to create take the the experience of working on a local cable tv station or or whatever the setup is in the movie but you know she's like you know we get to see the the same dream that cassandra probably has in her life of like i was doing this chicken shit gig and now i've got a movie it that's what we're watching unfold for elvira the character trying to raise money for her vegas show which is you know essentially a big parallel of what we're seeing of what Cassandra Peterson is doing at this point in her life. And I think that's so cool because to be able to do, to, to make all the commentary she's making with the budget of a full feature film where every disgusting man who objectifies her and assaults her gets what's coming to him, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So we're introduced to the proprietor of the Cozy Cot Motel, Miss Maker, (laughs) who is played by Pat Crawford Brown. And, uh, you know, she's sort of the quintessential busybody where she's keeping tabs of it on everyone, but also specifically her granddaughter, Robin, who is played by Ellen Dunning. And Robin becomes Elvira's first sort of champion in this town. She directs her to the local bowling alley, which is where the scene is at night, if there is one. Uh, Of course, Elvira is once again immediately sexually harassed by Travis, played by Jeff Conaway. <laughs> I died. I died when I saw Kaniki. Yeah, there's a couple of famous people who pop up in this and you think, oh, okay, what are you doing here? 
the big one for me here, though. So, do you, are y'all familiar with Susan Kellerman, who plays Patty? Uh, no. No. Okay. So I'm not either. She's been in a couple things. She's also a member of the Groundlings. But there is, uh, there is a 2006 Queen Latifah vehicle called Last Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god last holiday again Trish. it's so good no because susan kellerman plays gunther the uh the german woman who oversees her room who doesn't like her but then when she like starts to like her it's really really funny anyway sorry go watch last holiday amazing five-star queen latifah film uh with ll cool j that's my spiel <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm not cutting that out in the edit i'm just gonna leave it in <laughs> of course you are i would never doubt you so all this to say, she ends up having to beat off these ogres, but she's also what? aided by Bob <laughs> Redding, played by Daniel Green, who is our himbo for the movie. And he's delightful because he's so uncomplicated. It's just such a shame that this movie was made when it was, because I do not go for the late 80s, early 90s hunky Lumberjack male aesthetic <laughs> yeah the brawny paper towel man and that was right. what was really being pushed us pushed on us at the time and i feel uh-huh. like the cigarette companies were involved because like he's still very much like the kind of guy yeah he's like the marble cowboy but being packaged to us as everybody's dream man and it's like i love that the film has what i was thinking when i was watching it is every man's a creeper a pervert except for this one gallant hero you know Mm -hmm. and the teenage boys who start out as creeps and perverts but elvira teaches them to be better men than they probably would have ended up as if she had not come through town and she uses their she uses their um sex drive to get them into being volunteers to improve the community (laughs) (laughs) it's a funny condemnation right because if you think about it just what you said jinx if elvira hadn't come in this regressive conservatism in the town would have like everyone would have thought oh we're gonna help them to grow up and become morally upstanding young gentlemen right Mm -hmm. but really what we're already seeing is that they're going to be just like everyone else in this town totally like homophobic misogynistic regressive and just like back ass you know ass backwards <laughs> basically just ass backwards yeah just ass backwards. so it's kind of funny that like somebody who pushes their sexual morals is actually responsible for turning them into better people and the, but that it's so heartwarming again like like as sexual as this movie is like it's such a heartwarming again i think it's a family-friendly film you cut out that mention of a blowjob this well maybe not be pg but it's more appropriate to show to a child but again no child's gonna watch this and be like what's a blowjob yeah this is the equivalent of the g-rated movies that bob shows at his movie theater and we all know there's nothing wrong with g-rated movies as long as there's (laughs) sex and violence in them (laughs) a lot of sex and violence Uh, okay so elvira goes to the reading of the will and she learns that she has inherited a house a poodle and a recipe book that uncle vincent talbot played by w morgan shepherd desperately wants and of course meanwhile word around town is spreading everybody wants to get her the fuck out but the issue is that she needs to sell this house to make that 50k to get to vegas and nobody wants to buy it so she spends her time shaving and renaming the dog turning him into gonk who is kind of a punk poodle very fun 
I know we can't just like repeat jokes over and over and over, but like the one that like really, <laughs> it's it's the little ones that really made me laugh. It's whenever like uh, 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 Uncle Vinny is trying to buy the book from her, and she's she's like leaning against the car. She's like, "Sure, I'll do it for fifty dollars." As Chastity walks by, and she's like, "Oh." <laughs> so uncle viddy does want that cookbook and elvira is happy to sell it to him because she doesn't know what she has but it disappears in the house because of course we've got some magic and other things going on gonk hides it again putting it in kind of a cartoony world where the animal has human qualities and is going to be her her guide on this magical journey she's going to get wrapped up into <laughs> i love this the, the the rules of the familiars in this movie it's like oh yeah it's an animal that like you know whatever i get that but this dog can become a poodle it can become a rottweiler it can be- spin around and become a mouse <laughs> right <laughs> love it what's your problem what's your problem <laughs> not a problem just an observation joe <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we, we learn that the kids are a bit dirty perverts, so we've got Randy played by Chris Cram, who would have been Brad Pitt, as well as Sean Scott Morris and Bo played by Ira Hayden, and, you know, there's funny things that's very Animal House, kind of Porky's-esque, it's, it's very juvenile risque as they're trying to take a picture of her while she's changing this is the only real kind of nudity that we sort of get but it's all in shadow as we're talking about wizard masters named tartikoff in this episode <laughs> we're forgetting ira hyden played the wizard master in nightmare on elm street 3 <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah he was the other person where i was like what are you doing here <laughs> So the kids end up uh, helping her out. She, sorry, she has a gothic horror movie nightmare where she imagines, you know, as you said, Jinx walking up the stairs. She's a gorgeous lady and she discovers the secret room, but that'll come into play later. The kids arrive so that they can repair the house. And to me, this is a very Tim Burton Beetlejuicy moment when she sees the reveal and the house is green and purple and she loves it. Yeah. The the production design here looked the most like a Tim Burton film. Like, I don't think the production design of this movie is particularly, like, memorable just because we are in suburbia here. But this (laughs) house is fantastic. The house is fantastic. And it's so perfectly suburbia you know like yeah. it is it is the perfect depiction of the kind of town that she would shake up especially at the like well because like the town picnic god what a mm-hmm. drab oh. <laughs> assortment of little old people <laughs> and that's supposed to be the mm-hmm. whole town for their big shindig <laughs> and it looks like a retirement home shuffled out onto the yard <laughs> so good Ugh. The weird thing is that all the people at that picnic looked like they were about 60 years old, but then there's also this population of teens, and I thought, where are their parents? Unless we're meant to assume all these older people are their parents. Listen, we don't need the logic. That, but but, that, but that's that's where it's like, oh, we use Act 2 to shoehorn the teenagers into this movie because NBC said mm-hmm. so. Like, that that's what this yeah. is. And it very much feels like, you know, that we don't care what the middle-aged people are doing in this town we care that the old people are trying to stop elvira and the young people like Mm -hmm. elvira and the middle people uh, we only have bob and patty and everyone else is either ancient or a teenager it's like a weird children of the corn movie in that regard oh my god also i'm backtracking here but i am absolutely going to be pocketing um can i make you a cup of tea or something well we don't put you in any trouble Mm, good point (laughs) i'm totally (laughs) keeping that for whenever i have guests over (laughs) 
Whereas the one that I will be repurposing is, ooh, what's that perfume? Catch of the day? <laughs> Unleaded. Don't smoke. Uh, okay. So Elvira invites the handsy realtor, Mr. Glotter, who, as you mentioned, Trace is played by Kurt Fuller, and he tries to make a pass at it. There's a bunch of physical comedy here, but ultimately he ends up getting kicked out by Gonk. And I do love her line where she says, heck, I was just six inches from selling this house today. (laughs) Again, right over a child's head, but right into the adults. Yeah. So she ends up trying to get a job and we get this funny montage of her getting nothing but no's as people force her out of their businesses. But we also have Chastity and Mrs. Meeker exchanging this series of sped up phone conversations. (laughs) Just so (laughs) pointless, but so indicative (laughs) of the time. You know, it's it's like I find myself longing for. contemporary movies that follow this kind of like kooky logic like i want movies again with the setup like i want to see today's talented actors do these (laughs) these classic tropes because I'm, i'm i'm just like you know there's a reason why things keep getting rebooted but what if instead of rebooting things we just learn from what we liked about the movies of the past and created right. new stuff you know <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it yeah i mean this is all just so silly right like that's what makes it funny because it's it is that low hanging fruit that you've referenced mm-hmm. a couple times, Jinx. But the reason it works is because it's low hanging fruit, and because it's still fucking funny. Well, but the, the 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 movie knows it, and it's not pretentious about being like, yeah, we're stupid. Look at how good we are. It, th- mm-hmm. There's such a uh, it's such a very genuine movie. Yeah, I just yeah, I, I, if this movie was a person, I would just want to give it a big hug. <laughs> At the same time, though. I'm wa- I'm just imagining Siskel and Eber in their review screening during this montage that we're getting with the chipmunk voices. <laughs> just turning to each other. I don't get it. Do you get it? Oh, I think it's overstated. It's welcome. They, no, their, their mindset is, I get it, movie. You're not funny. That's what they're doing. Uh, so sad. Yeah. Okay. So as she's sort of trying to have another meet cute with Bob at the theater, we've got Uncle Vinny's boys who are searching the house for the book because that's still a plot line in this movie. (laughs) But yeah, we're just basically continuing to run through the motions of freaking out either Patty or Chastity or Mrs. Meeker or other people being like, get that bitch out of town. Like, in a way, it reminded me of Saved. No. Mm. In a way, it reminded me of Easy A with Emma Stone, where (laughs) the Amanda Bynes character is like, I feel for her, but Um, also we need to get her the fuck out of here. I think her saved comparison is also apt. I think both of those movies work in this this analogy. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a sort of undercurrent of religious intolerance, even though no one is expressly religious in this movie. Which I really like about it. Yeah, it's just the morality club. But I mean, it's it's just like a, another reason why this like has so much queer appeal is because the morality club is trying to shut down anything that's considered deviant against the heteronormative nuclear family all-american setup you know and i love a movie that depicts those people as the villains and as the real people like ruining society you know Uh, (laughs) um, and (laughs) because it's reality it's fact (laughs) yeah and um it just you know plays into that's why it's so satisfying when elvira's dumb 
too. Because it's like, as people are trying to label her as this devious witch, she's just like a, she's just a fun-loving, simple girl who wants to go to Vegas. You know, like, she's dumb. She put earthworms in what she thought was a stew that turns into a gremlin. But, you know, like, she didn't think <laughs> two things about it. She can't, no context clues work for her. She's a cartoon character. I, I, I will, I will so confess, true. when she's like, you have an extra E in matinee. I was like, Elvira, really? But honestly, <laughs> sweetie, the, 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 this scene, so I, I, I will confess. So I, I, I know the Hauser head joke from RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. I, I never thought about, oh, where's that from? I never realized it was from something. I thought it was just something that the show just created for some reason. Hmm. When I heard it here, I was like, obviously light, lights clicked into place here. But this entire sequence... <laughs> Has like three of the best jokes in the movie, <laughs> which is the how's your head? I love the how how to fuck and the uh, your problem is chastity pariah. Oh, I thought I got that cleaned up. That this whole <laughs> sequence is magic. It's comedic genius to me, and it's like joke, 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 mm-hmm. joke. So even if you miss one of them, there's another one coming down the pipeline like two seconds later. Yeah, yeah. And in that sense, it's like you know. She's like such a, it's, it's so much like vaudeville, you know, she's got her one shtick and everything's, and that's why it reminds me of I Love Lucy and The Nanny, because it's just like, let's just build a playground in which this very funny woman can do her thing, you know? And that's Mm -hmm. what the whole film is, is like, what wacky situations can we put Elvira in so we can see the payoff of Elvira looking for a normal job, Elvira (laughs) doing home repairs, Elvira trying to cook, you know, like, of course what happens is she mistakes a spell book for a cookbook and conjures a little gremlin monster. Like that's what happens in Mm -hmm. Elvira's world. But and that that's the thing though. So had had this movie done well and they had gotten more sequels, um, they were going to do the earnest route and do a bunch of like Elvira oh, goes to jail, Elvira skips, like that kind of stuff. And again, like, that that works. It totally works. And I do think too that once again had this done well, then they could have started going a bit more risque with it once they got that new audience on board. Totally. I don't even think they need to though. Like the risque humor here works because it is so sly and wink wink nudge nudge like we know exactly what it means and the jokes are smart enough to be sexy dirty without having to be crude yeah but i only say that because i think the the intention here because i all the writers on board were like had we had uh were we able to like not try to go for the broad audience this would have been a lot more risque this would have been a lot more uh sexual and i wonder what that movie would have been like but i agree with you joy i think that this movie is perfect the way it is because i just like okay so we're we're up to her screening right you know we we've got the ticking clock of we've seen (laughs) vincent go down his bat tunnel to his satanic temple and say okay in one week i'm gonna do this ceremony and we're like cool whatever that's fine and then elvira to make some money decides she's gonna do this screening at bob's theater she's gonna screen attack of the killer tomato she convinces all the teens to come For me, a defining joke of this movie is we have already made reference to Patty's pronounced tits. (laughs) And there is this moment where we're setting up the stage, we're getting everything ready, and then we just sort of pan gently by this curtain and we can see Patty's shoes peeking out (laughs) and also the pointed tips of her tits. Yeah. (laughs) Which are fake. All fake. (laughs) 
Because, of course, Elvira's, like, enemy, of course her nemesis in this, has to be blonde, has to be wearing pink constantly, because she's got to be the anti-Elvira, but she's also got to have pronounced boobs, but they've got to be, like, the wrong kind of boobs, you know? <laughs> like, they got to be... This flat-chested woman was threatened. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, of course, we get a flash dance homage that ends in a carry homage when Elvira is tarred and feathered. I love the, um, oh, you're going to love it. The scene where I totally rip off. I mean, I'm inspired by flash dance. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love about this scene is all of the, the body doubling. And then you get oh uh, my God. the backflips, yeah. but it keeps cutting to Elvira's head bobbing up and down like she's the one doing the backflips, which is so mm-hmm. drag, so camp. I mean. Dayla and I did uh, we've done similar bits in our holiday film we had tap dance doubles and you know we knew the joke we were making and so does Elvira (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so she she ends up taking a bath to remove all the tarring and the feathering and yes this is when we get the scene where she tries to make the casserole I do love that this is just yeah some random kind of gremlins homage I could have taken probably another two minutes of them just trying to deal with this thing before they shove it down the carburetor. <laughs> yeah. I think this is budgetary because this is the big effect in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it looks fantastic. It's so because again, yeah, the, the jokes are coming a mile a minute here. For some reason, the funniest one to me was when she thought that the whatever the ingredient was, uh, was smell bad. But she's like, oh, well, it's good until July of next year. <laughs> I don't know. Like, of course. Like, why we haven't not? all done that. <laughs> but yeah, no, th- this looks fantastic. It's a it's a great little scene. So, yes, this is when Gonk reveals the secret room from her nightmare and we get Elvira's backstory. We learn that Uncle Vinny killed her mother, which is why she was left at the pick and save orphanage. <laughs> wait, wait, I, I'm sorry. I have a question and this is going to be me being stupid and not getting a joke. So I did not understand when she looks at the doorknob and we she breaks the fourth wall and tells the audience deja vu. I think it's a reference to her dream. Because, uh, oh. like, uh, 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 like Trace was saying, um, you know, or, or who who is speaking just now? Who is speaking just now? But Sorry, um, Joe, 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 Joe. Joel, <laughs> um, you know, she she had the dream of going up the stairs, and so Gonk leads her up the same stairs that she oh. dreamt about. And I think it's the first time she's seeing the the secret door in real life. But I also had to like. I had to realize that it did. I didn't have the right tools in the moment to get what she was talking about. Because so, I, I was trying. I was like, is she referencing something? So in her Coors Light commercial, like she's in something and she comes across a standee cut out, like a cardboard cut out of herself, <laughs> and she's like, oh, look at deja vu. So it, it, I was. It seems to be kind of a catchphrase in her commercials, mm-hmm. which is why she's saying it here. But yeah, I didn't get in this movie. Why was she? Right. I, I was honestly thinking. I was going so far with this, y'all. I was like, okay, maybe it's like a door. So it's like knockers and so she's thinking about her boobs <laughs> but it's the doorknob it's not the knocker <laughs> yeah you you both overcomplicated what isn't a very funny joke it's more just the catchphrase <laughs> 
Okay, so we end up having a funny sight gig where she thinks she's making it with Bob, and it's actually a python. Ha ha. And then she actually yeah, does fuck Bob. Well, no, what's great about it is it's not that she thinks she's making out with him. She's saying, oh, Bob, you're, you're like, I, I'm so glad you're doing this. And, and then the lights come on, and it's a snake. So she must have assumed that that was his penis. This long, mm-hmm. prehensile, scaly <laughs> thing that's probably squirming around and that's what's so funny about the joke to me is like the idea that she would mistake a a boa constrictor for a man's penis Mm -hmm. and she's not put off by it at all she's just like what a great penis you have this long writhing (laughs) what a coiling penis (laughs) words we've all uttered yeah so then another great sight gag is that as she and bob do start to get down to business we basically fade in on the word morality and this is chastity's morality club picnic okay so i know i made a tiff about the word blowjob being in this movie um mm-hmm. we get full-on implied cunnilingus in this scene uh-huh. <laughs> which very lazily written full implied cunnilingus mm-hmm. she just walks over and says is this f- f- space taken and sits on its face <laughs> <laughs> now there's a line we should all be co-opting oh my god <laughs> i will absolutely be saying that all the time um no, apparently, so apparently Edie mcclurg was very um well very chastity chaste about this uh because mm-hmm. she uh, uh Peterson was like, yeah, because they're all friends. They're all in the groundlings together. But she was like, yeah, she did not feel comfortable doing any of the sexual stuff in this <laughs> scene. And I, I think maybe originally they were going to have her like remove an article of clothing, like not be new, but like, you know, take a shirt off and this, she's wearing a bra. It took a lot of um, hand holding, but she was like, they did eventually get her to do everything they needed her to do. But she was not comfortable doing these scenes. Well, <laughs> and I mean, like maybe comfort but also like i mean it's just smart for her to protect the this character that she plays in the film is what her whole career is is playing characters like this Mm -hmm. and if she had gone too far for the joke maybe it would have hurt her future work because like when you see her in this film if if you're old enough you recognize her you might not be able to pinpoint what all you recognize her from but you know you've seen her in everything yeah you know her immediately yeah i mean those character actors man yeah yeah so basically this just turns into like a hedonistic kind of orgy at the picnic it's delightful because it's it's a a soft win for elvira against all these people who have treated her so shittily and it feels satisfying and of course we still have the big threat which is uncle Vinny, who realizes hey this looks like magic so when he can't get the book from her he goes to town council who are all mortified and embarrassed and they want to get rid of her and he says well why don't we just do what this old statute that i magically found says let's label her a witch and we can burn her at the stake one of the biggest it's later but one of the biggest laughs for me is when the dog is barking she's like what are you worried about you're not about to get barbecued and then she barks again and we cut and there's like a tinier steak next to hers for the dog (laughs) (laughs) oh boy yeah, so Elvira is locked up and the kids try to let her out. But it's it's these kinds of scenes where you realize, okay, the kids mostly work, but also you could remove the scene of them falling into the jail cell next to her and it wouldn't affect yeah. the film at all, right? 
my thing is I have no issue with these kids being here because again, I think it aids with the whole theme of the film, but mm-hmm. it's, it's when they're saying, Oh, but we had to remove so many scenes from the adult cast members who are funnier. Yeah. Who are funnier and have more fun things to do. So it's that aspect where I'm like, honestly, I mean, look, the movie's 97 minutes. Give me a two hour version of this. I'm fine. Critics wouldn't have liked it. I'm fine with it. <laughs> what I like about the messaging of the kids all being on Elvira's side is it's showing, the young people who this movie was aimed towards yep that like this is the way of the future this is what kids like you know people like her who she might be flagrant about her sexuality but she's actually the only good one here you know like right i do like the messaging of like cool kids like elvira you know <laughs> this is who you should be putting down stakes with yeah oops i mean pyres <laughs> oops i mean yes <sighs> yeah so this is where we start to get some like really ridiculous stuff so Elvira has sent Bob off to get the book but unfortunately Uncle Vinny gets it before he can she is set up uh, Patty lights the first flame you can't do that and it sounds like Patty's gonna save Elvira at the last minute and no she's got tips for how to burn her better <laughs> it'll um, light faster if you light it multiple places <laughs> <laughs> good on you Patty <laughs> and then Bob doing the whole like Patty you're not a very nice person which honestly is one of the best insults in any movie ever. There's something just so simple about being like, you're not a good, you're not a nice person to be like, like you're putting someone in this world, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. probably the harshest thing anyone has ever said to Patty. It'd Mm -hmm. be way worse than Elvira saying, you know, Oh, I'm going to punch your lights out or something. (laughs) So Elvira is about to go up and smoke, but she uses her mother's amulet ring to summon a storm to put out the flames. Which isn't going to help her case of not being a witch. Right? (laughs) This is is a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, though. Now, has she had this ring the entire time? Yes. And we get many shots of like at the very beginning, we see her hands on the steering wheel, the very cool mm-hmm. chain stealing steering steering wheel of her car. We see this ruby ring on her all throughout, but it gets revealed in a flashback with a very um, on the nose zoom in on the ring with the voiceover <laughs> of her mother saying, you'll have all the power you need to, be, <laughs> to defeat your Uncle Vinny. <laughs> So to be clear, Elvira has had this ring for God knows how long, pre-movie, and all she had to do was raise her hand up a little bit <laughs> to get this magic power to come the out The power of comes from within. The ring is the conduit. Trace, did you not even watch the movie? She had to know that she had the power to be able to summon okay. the power. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's crystal clear to me now. Like, yeah, I, I obviously, understand. Obviously. <laughs> It's like every adventure movie, right? We've always got the the tools or the abilities to do what we need to do within us. It's just there's that moment when you come to realize, oh, this is what it takes. And this is her moment, right? She says, okay, I guess I'm a fucking witch. Well, if we want to poke holes in the plot, we can say, why was there so much emphasis on the spell book for so long mm-hmm. if there was also an all-powerful ring that Uncle right. Vinny would also really like to get his hands on? but we don't learn about the ring until we have to it does feel Mm -hmm. like there was some corrective writing in there but it's also like (laughs) let's pick one object of power that they're gonna fight over um because that's what makes it feel like corrective writing that we put so much stake into the book but also there's a 
ring. There's a ring. And here, for me personally, when it comes to gaps in logic, plot holes, whatever with the film, I will never put much scrutiny on it if the film doesn't seem to care. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, yes. Maybe a, if the tone of the film makes it easier for that like if yeah. the movie if the movie does have that pretentious air of like oh look at me i'm a film then yes i'm gonna try to poke holes in your plot to be like okay well let's see how much of a film you are but oh for God. this <laughs> i don't care who cares <laughs> yeah exactly Trace is like well if you're acting like a dick i'm gonna treat you like a dick but if you're having fun then i'll let you get away with it if you're acting like an incredible pair of legs i'm gonna I, I treat you like an incredible pair of boobs Fair. I didn't, okay. I didn't do that right. I'm sorry. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> you, you tried so hard. I love it. The effort was A+. Plus. The execution was E. Yeah, okay. I, I got it. Okay, so she has successfully freed herself. Uh, we've got Chastity and a couple of colleagues being turned into a pig because, of course, Vinny's moment has arrived. He has the book. He is increasingly distorting and becoming demon-like as we get closer to this lunar eclipse. Uh, he easily dispatches Bob and and Gonk. I did not care for the image of a dog being thrown in a dumpster. <laughs> you didn't? I did. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, it was funny, but I was just like, oh, I can't believe we're throwing dogs in It here. was more so that he didn't just throw him. It was like he just dropped him in the dumpster that made it very funny to me. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. <laughs> so Elvira realizes that she doesn't have a chance in hell against this guy, so she needs to weapon up. So she ends up breaking into a store and coming out dressed as Rambo. And that's a very funny sight gag because it's basically the same outfit, only she's got heavier eye makeup on and the slit in her dress is shorter. <laughs> or sorry, the dress is shorter and the slit is higher. There we go. And she's now randomly covered in like soot and mud. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was just so cool that like Rambo was like the masculine icon of the time. And then yes! here's this... Here's this big titted, sexually <laughs> vibrant woman kicking ass mm -hmm. like a man. Uh, of course, the bazooka does nothing, and the whole thing was nope. just a throwaway sight joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, but sort of, because even Jinx, to take what you just said that next step further, when she gets into the graveyard, she takes off her high heeled shoe, and that's actually the weapon that does damage against yes. Uncle Vinny because it. It hits him and leaves an actual mark in his head that hurts. So you're like, oh, the masculine weapons don't work. It's only her feminine, highly sexualized objects that end up making an impact. Which include her tits to get out mm -hmm. to break the chain on the cemetery gates. So that is an iconic shot. People reference that all the time. <laughs> if we take, you know, like fundamentals of witchcraft into it too, like if she derives her power from her sexuality, then of course mm -hmm. the objects of power for her would be the instruments of her sexuality. So if you're like tracking fantasy logic, you can have the justification for why the shoe was able to easily harm <laughs> him, whereas an entire bazooka did nothing. <laughs> so what you're saying is she's a wizard. Yes. I mean, oh there's many wizards at play <laughs> on and off screen here. <laughs> so she ends up making it to the house so that we can stage our final climactic battle. Vinny suddenly has the ability to like spew fire. So the whole house goes up in flames 
and she ends up cutting off one of his arms. It happens to be the arm that has the hand that has the ring on it because she <laughs> lost it earlier. So she manages to get that free and then she zaps him with it and he explodes through the top of the house and is presumably sent to hell or something awful. Th- this scene is my like least interesting part of the movie for me because it doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense which is fine but i also am just kind of no. like but where are the jokes <laughs> i mean it's like yeah. these movies with the ultimate villain becoming all powerful and then immediately immediately Getting in dispatched. the same night yeah like <laughs> and like in a, such a way that like it's like if it was that easy did they ever pose a threat i think a lot about mm-hmm. like ursula becoming you know the moment ursula becomes powerful all it takes oh, is yeah. one ship to ram into her and and not only did it affect her she's just completely defeated and i'm yeah, like right. what happened what'd you think was gonna happen you were never gonna run into a ship <laughs> <laughs> if i take it one step further of connection it reminds me of tress mcneil as mom in a wizard of oz parody episode of futurama where she screams <laughs> someone throw uh, someone gets champagne on her and she starts to melt and she screams instead of oh what a world what a cruel, cruel world she goes who would have ever thought that a small amount of liquid would get on me <laughs> it's, i love the idea of an all-powerful villain that can't be defeated except until they can and it's quite easy Right. Man, yeah. I, I, I agree with you on the Ursula thing, but it's the thing where it's like, you know, that should be a gory, gory death where we are seeing her intestines spill out, but Disney can't show that. Yeah. So I really wonder what they're going to do with Melissa McCarthy in this new live action movie. <laughs> or maybe, actually, you know what they're going to do? They're going to give her a, an understanding villain origin story, and then she's going to be okay by the end of the no, movie. No, that's going to be a separate movie that comes out years later. And her tutor will be Emma Stone in the 60s. Yeah, Teen Ursula. I think that's just called The Descendants. <laughs> <laughs> what I will commend the Little Mermaid musical for is they go back, they go into Ursula's yes. backstory more. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not played for sympathy, I could find the angles where Sherry Renee Scott, who's an amazing performer, I can find the angles where, because when you play a villain, I've played villains before, you have to get into the mindset of the villain because you, the actor, has to find where the villain doesn't think that they're a villain. You have to find where right. the villain thinks that they're doing the right thing. It's true for Chastity Pariah. I mean, Vinny's just kind of, Uncle Vinny's just kind of like yeah. evil incarnate. You know, he doesn't have any right. noble mission. But um, I, I don't know. So now we're talking about, you know, an inevitable Ursula back <laughs> story film. I, <laughs> just roller skating across that stage, swimming. <laughs> in the water uh, look we're just saying that Vinny is such an interesting antagonist in this film we'd rather talk about the Ursula prequel <laughs> origin story that doesn't yet exist yeah if I ever do drag my, my dream dress is Sherry Renee Scott's like Ursula dress with those fucking tentacles it's like the best fucking thing it's it's really really good <laughs> it's really good and and she has this line that she doesn't have in I don't know if she has it in the original movie but they wrote it into the musical for sure but she says a woman doesn't know how precious her voice is until she's been silenced so ursula actually Mm. in the musical has this whole feminist lens you could Mm -hmm. see her roll through that wasn't really mined in the original animated film so i'm 
I'm hoping we we see some of that with Melissa McCarthy. Well, it's be- because she's Triton's sister in the yeah. in the play, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, hey, and, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I know this, but you know the point is, witches are very wonderful things in the media, and we need more witch content. In- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so Vinny has been dispatched. Uh, there's very little left of this house, and of course, Elvira doesn't have the right insurance. So she's back where she started. It seems like all hope is lost. And then, of course, the lynch mob shows up, and she gets a little nervous. But they've actually come to apologize, and her car is fixed, and she has inherited Uncle Vinny's sizable estate. So (laughs) let's just cut immediately to this Vegas musical number. We've got hot men in suspenders and sequined briefs and red tights, and we've got a rap interlude, (laughs) and finally a burlesque bazunga finale. Um, This is fantastic. So this almost didn't happen. Oh my god, how could you not? When they finished production on this movie, um, they only had the Vegas scene left, but they were out of money. And NBC told them, sorry, we're going to end it with Elvira on the on the, the patio of her house as the mechanic gives her a car. She's going to drive off to Vegas. Um, no. It took weeks. Peterson herself had to go to like the financiers and like basically give a sales pitch as to why this scene needed to be in the movie. Whether they were just tired of hearing her talk or they believed her, like they finally (laughs) said, fine, like you can do it. It actually wound up costing them more money because they'd already let go all of the crew. So they literally had to rehire everyone, do new contracts and stuff just to film this ending scene. Yeah, but it's so important to the movie. Like, can you imagine if she just drove off and we didn't get to see what she was actually working towards? It would have been like bringing a gun on stage and not using it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, another another wrench thrown into the mix. Uh, Peterson woke up the day they were supposed to shoot and had the flu, and she recorded this entire sequence while having the flu and a fever. Wow. Because this is like a full-on performance. Like, this yeah. isn't a short musical number. It's not her just sitting on the couch doing something like we got a lot of action from her i'm so glad the musical number happened because if we think back to like this is the ultimate way of giving the world elvira and if we think of it as a crash course and why you're supposed to love elvira it has to also have like then watch just when you think you couldn't love her more she sings she Mm -hmm. dances she does the titty tassel twirl (laughs) you know she can do it all like i understand why it was so important to the people in the creative team of elvira that this scene make it in and and it gets shot because it's like the cherry on the sunday at the end is like now Mm. get uh, now watch what these tits can do in action (laughs) well and that's the thing too yeah i i like what you say jason yeah this is like um uh uh, it's elvira's like um uh, what's a showcase what's the debutante ball where it's like you it's not unveiling but like a yeah it's like that kind of a thing where it's like oh yeah we're doing this for the world for elvira because this also kind of serves as a series finale of sorts for movie macabre 
Yeah. Because she's moving on to bigger and better things. Well, we we thought so. (laughs) So, yeah, I I, I think this is fantastic. All movies should end with a musical number. Yeah. Always. And it's also very to Wong Fu. The town comes together. Yeah. Hmm. You know, it's 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 funny that the same story can work twice, but like in this hand it's drag queens and in this hand it's an AFAB female performer. But just <laughs> <Drag> like queens. <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's just like, you know, the fact that there was ever an argument in mainstream drag about whether women uh, have a place right. in the world of drag like afab women it's ridiculous to me because we've had elvira for years we've had bet midler for years everything bet midler does every role she plays even when she's playing natural roles has like the drag sensibility in it and women have been doing drag jolly parton share fuck like you know like mm-hmm. the fact that this is even ever was ever considered a new concept women in drag my god like <laughs> and that's the thing too i i'm I, going all the way back to our like business woman like conversation like elvira it's share um i would put jennifer lopez in this mind in, in this group too mm-hmm. um i think there's someone else that i'm missing i'm like oh yeah who's a woman that like, is like just really owns her own brand but those are the that immediately come to mind it's elvira share and jennifer lopez <laughs> they need to be in a charlie's angels movie together <laughs> I mean, one of those things is not quite like the others but yes uh, the sentiment jennifer works. lopez is a businesswoman i'm sorry oh, like, God, she yes. she runs the world <laughs> Beyonce. I mean, Beyonce's not not yeah. doing drag. She's doing. She's doing. You know, femme couture. She's doing the performativity doing, of a drag, right? Exactly. Like she's her brand is drag queens model themselves after uh, right. Beyonce because right. she's got it figured out so damn well. <laughs> yeah, something about the it factor, right? I think. It, divas and drag queens in a way are almost synonymous or they speak to and inform each other yeah i say to a literal drag queen (laughs) (laughs) it's like deja vu (laughs) but yeah all right well that's that's elvira mistress of the dark i think isn't it Mm-hmm, oh sure my god is. well do y'all have any final things to say about this perfect piece of cinema it's for me it's all about the baby elvira i i mean and i <laughs> i almost don't i'm reluctant to say that because i don't know what what went into putting ma- makeup on a baby i don't know that that right? makeup had any business being <laughs> on that baby i hope they use baby safe makeup i noticed the nails were painted i'm like i mm-hmm. well i worry how that baby was handled there's this part of me that's like, thank God we got to see baby Elvira. <laughs> yeah. And that baby grew up to be Jared Kushner. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, I, I, again, as someone going into this with very little Elvira knowledge or exposure, I was worried that it was going to be a thing where I was like, oh, fuck, like, what if I don't like this? Like, I'm going to have to go in the air and say this. Um, I'm happy to report that is not the case. I found this utterly delightful constant laughs for me and if one joke does not work for you there will be another one about two seconds later that probably will yeah i really appreciate a lot of the things that you said today jinx because you said them far more eloquently than (laughs) i was preparing to try to say it but for me it's just it's the feminism of this movie like she's so unabashedly sexual and i love the intersection of sexy with stupid because i think it's disarming in a way 
I can honestly understand why this movie didn't always get good reviews, particularly when it came out from a primarily straight male film critic perspective. Yeah. Because this movie is so unabashedly for women and gays and just overall like the queer community and i think it's really a love letter to cassandra peterson's talent and her versatility like yeah it's hard not to watch this and as you said numerous times trace want to either meet her hug her talk to her yeah. or just see her in everything yeah Again, she's been handed a raw deal over the past 30 years, and it sucks that she didn't get her TV show. We didn't get, and we got it, we did get a sequel to this in 2001. Um, but, you know, this was kind of, I think, the peak of mm-hmm. the Elvira, uh, the Elvira, like, fandom. I'm sorry, not the fandom, um, just the, the, the public craze of this character. But she's still around. She's still doing it. She's still stunningly, breathtakingly beautiful. Like, oh you my wouldn't God. believe. How is she still. It doesn't make any sense to me. I was watching the promo for that 40th anniversary bit on Shudder, mm-hmm. and I was like, she looks exactly the same. She is? Exactly the same. Okay, she she, uh, uh, she is in her 70s, like, looking mm-hmm. amazing. Like, Stunningly is... gorgeous. Well, and you know, the only, and I, I feel like it just needs to be mentioned, but the only reason we are remarking on how good she looks is because we have been conditioned to think of women as of just not, mm-hmm. um, you know, not viable after a certain age. And what uh, mm-hmm. what's so wonderful about Elvira just existing is that she is in her 70s and she's still the sex icon she's always been. Mm-hmm. And she just came out as queer and she's still the sex icon she's always been. And so the fact that she is just still with us, still doing what she does just being herself unapologetically is like you know it's a revolutionary act that she's just still elvira in the world (laughs) yeah and apparently her autobiography is very saucy so if people feel like they haven't gotten enough of her from watching this movie listening to this conversation lots of good tidbits in there if you want to check that out yeah i've heard it's uh yeah yeah just as you said very juicy Um, well, all right. Okay, well, everyone, so before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Jinx, first of all, thank thank you so much thank for you. coming on to discuss you. this. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> of course, and l- let everyone know. So where can they find you on social media? And is there anything that you are doing that you want to plug? Yes, um, you can find me on social media at the Jinx on Instagram, at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. Jinx is spelled J-I-N-K-X. I paid extra for the K, so you have to use it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, let's see. You know, I will be touring the U.S. and the United States and Canada with the Jinx and De La Holiday Show with my drag sister, Bendela Creme. We are sold out in many cities, so go to jinxandela.com and see if you can still snag tickets. If you're unable to see us live, you can always patronize us by watching the Jinx and De La Holiday special on Hulu in the United States. And if you're outside of the States, go to jinxandela.com to find out where you can watch the 
Jinx and Taylor Holiday special. And the show, the live show, is different from the film. You know, people think, <laughs> oh, I'm going to go see the live show. It's going to be the live version of the film. No, we write a new show every year, and the film was just the show that we wrote that year because we couldn't tour um, because of COVID. So we write a brand new stinking show every goddamn year. <laughs> so if you've seen us before, if you've seen our film, come see us again because we're really, really excited about the show we're writing this year. We are taking it to some metaphysical places, which I always love in 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 drag comedy. So get ready. Ready for the zaniest Jinx and Dela holiday show yet. <laughs> and you can listen to my podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts. <laughs> I got um, High Jinx, which is an interview podcast. And um, I'm 40% podcast with my comedy partner, Nick Zahoya. That is a queer lensed Futurama review podcast (laughs) (laughs) and links to all of those will be in the show notes everyone so please go check those out if you want to get in touch with us you can reach us on twitter and instagram at horrorqueers Uh, shoot us an email at horrorqueers at gmail.com follow us on letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered go to our youtube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers and our monthly hangouts where we talk about hot button horror topics with some of our peers if you want to chat with other listeners go to our facebook horror queers group or if you just want to show us some love please leave us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify but if you want to give us money you can go to our patreon at patreon.com slash horror queers uh this month uh we're oh this is the end of october actually so we have episodes on amazon's film adaptation of my best friend's exorcism uh disney's 29 years later sequel hocus pocus 2 hulu's hellraiser reboot blumhouse's franchise ender hopefully halloween ends and an audio commentary on gore verbinski's the ring just in time for its 20th anniversary. Ooh, I know. Uh, Joe, this is our last episode of Spooky Season, so what are we mm-hmm. starting November with next week? Yeah, rest in peace Halloween, we're moving on, but uh, we're going to stick with the ladies, but we're going to go a little bit more high school and very dreamlike, so we're changing it up quite a bit in terms of tone and pacing. Folks, we're going to check out Knives and Skin from 2019 correct me if i'm wrong this is a musical it has musical elements but it is not a full-blown musical okay i have avoided this because i don't think it's going to be a movie i enjoy but i have heard very good things about it (laughs) yeah it's interesting albeit i will say not always successful okay well uh, until we uh check out some knives and skin next week we can cross out elvira mistress of the dock Indeed, and cross out horror queers. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places 
tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories if you're brave enough. (laughs) 